0: Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God is often blamed for things when times get tough. I wonder if that's something you've done. When calamity strikes, people want to blame God. They don't want to look at their own lives. They don't want to examine where their hearts are. They don't want to look back and see where they've come from. They don't want to come into a place of humility broken before the Lord. They don't want to examine themselves. I know I might be speaking to some of you, but I'm, I want you to take this seriously. The blaming of God puts great distance between you and the one that's there to help you. This is amazing grace.
1: widespread fires and mudslides to devastating hurricanes or mass shootings. Many have gone through a calamity in this nation of ours in recent months. And at such times, you might be tempted to blame God, like the people we'll meet today through our study of 1 Samuel 4. But is God really to blame? And what should our response be when times get tough? We'll get some answers today on Abounding Grace, and welcome to our program. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with part one of Trust in God Alone. 1 Samuel chapter 4,
0: as we follow along the transition really in 1 Samuel from the judges, they're moving on from God God's leadership among the people with the judges to, well eventually we're going to get to the kingship from, the, from judges to a, mon- a monarchy. And in just a couple chapters you're going to see that the people are a little frustrated with the current situation and they cry out to Samuel for a king. But at this time in 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel has a new leader. His name is Samuel. We've learned so far that God loves the people and God loves Samuel. And out of his love, God provides his nation with a faithful, dedicated leader, a leader in a time of great need and lack of leadership. Not only that, but the world at this time, in the time of 1 Samuel, really lacks a global leader. There's really not a nation in this current condition that's ruling the world like we'll see later. You know, we'll see Egypt come on the scene. We'll see Babylon. We'll see Assyria. We'll we'll see other nations that have an ability to control the world as it's known, but not yet. Instead, during this time, there are a lot of local leaders or local rulerships, if you will, countries, and, and people like the Philistines, which become a great uh, pain in the side of the children of Israel. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, they basically, Israel's dealing with their neighbors, having fights with their neighbors. And the Philistines were no small force. They're they're an aggressive nation that occupied, as you'll get a map out, you'll see in the southwest area of Palestine. And they ruled from five key cities that we'll see over time as well with five key leaders. Uh, The cities are known as Ashkelon and Ashdod, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. And together they come as a unified political front, a unified unit. And they possess superior weapons of war. They were advanced compared to the Israelites with shields and helmets and swords. They had weapons, they had had gained weapons as far as from that small little uh, country known as Greece at the time. And as we meet them throughout Israel's history, we're going to see them fight and fight. They're always a pain in the side of Israel. And just for you note takers, you'll see that the Philistines are always a type of the enemy. I mean, obviously they're a physical enemy, but they also speak to us in a spiritual way where the enemy's always on the prowl, always wanting to do damage. The enemy, he too possesses sophisticated weapons. They're not really new, but he's well-trained. And and the devil studies us and and has an understanding of human nature and has been around. And that's why it's so foolish for us to just think, you know, in one time in prayer, he's, oh, devil, I'll take you on. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want to be careful. When the devil comes knocking, just let Jesus answer. You don't want to take them on personally. I don't know how many of us have ever taken the devil on personally, but in the demonic realm, it's bad enough. And the Philistines, they come and are always undermining and attacking the children of Israel. Verse 1, chapter 4, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. After being introduced to the young boy Samuel, the miracle of his birth, the faithfulness of God, how God met his mom. You remember, he's a miracle kid. We studied Hannah in depth, we paused on the difficulties of her life, we showed the faithfulness of God. God was just on display everywhere. God's will is being done. Samuel comes. He's, dedicated. He's born. He's dedicated. He's being raised up. He's recognized that we saw in the last chapter as the leader of Israel. And what's the first thing that happens after good news, after great news? Attack. As soon as something good began to happen, there were the Philistines. There were and there was the enemy. It doesn't take long For spiritual attacks, and let me remind us that that's regular life. Have you ever felt? Have you ever even communicated? Have you ever asked when is it going to end? Didn't I just? Wasn't yesterday such a great day? What happened to today? I mean, have have you just? You're just looking at life, and you're thinking, man, it was just so wonderful. The Lord met me. The Lord spoke to me. Why now? And why this? It was a difficult time for Israel as hopelessness and fear were taking root in the hearts of the people. Just when they began to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the Philistines show up. Where were the Philistines in the first couple chapters? I know it was difficult, but it was sort of isolated for for Hannah. But remember, remember, the backdrop of 1 Samuel is, well, is the book of Judges. It's been a tough time, the book of Judges, Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. Eli is a corrupt leader. His sons are corrupt leaders. It's a hard, difficult time. It just seems to be making progress. God provides a miracle kid. He's dedicated to the Lord. His mom fulfills her vow. He shows up. He's recognized. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. None of his words fell to the ground. All of Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Re- remember earlier, the Bible said that the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But with Samuel, so Samuel, he's established. He, he's, you could say that God's hand of approval is upon him. I mean, good times are coming. And, and indeed, good times are coming. But not without a fight. Not without a fight. Paul would say to the church in Ephesus that... He, he would speak of the spiritual armor of God, how important it is to put on the armor of God, to fight the good fight. And the Philistines are always knocking at the door. Remember back, and you can jot it down in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was up on the mountaintop, transfigured, getting a glimpse of his glory. I mean, it was so white and so pure, such a taste of what is to come. And there were those that were there with him, enjoying it, getting to see it, so blown away by it. And they were up on the mountaintop. You know, many men this weekend were up on the mountaintop. We were in Longmont, so it wasn't that much of a mountaintop, but it was there right outside of Longmont. We were away in the woods, beautiful scenery. You know, we call those the mountaintop experiences. They were great. Even the time I was able to spend there, as sick as I was, it was just glorious and wonderful to be around men, to hear the men singing, to see the men crying, to see them crying out for the things of God, to receiving the word of God, ready to be changed. I got feedback that some of the brothers, the Lord spoke to them so much that they went home even before it was over to do business with the Lord and to make things right with their family amazing amazing the work of God on the mountaintop you're you up on the mountaintop and I'm certain I didn't do any interviews but I bet you if we did talking to the men up on the mountaintop would you like to stay another day oh yeah would you like to stay a week man can I can I hey how would you like to stay up here for a year a year how would you like to be up here forever yeah, forever I don't have to. Well, you have responsibilities, you know. But, you know, what if you could just, what if God would just allow you to stay on the mountaintop? I mean, who would turn that down? I mean, to be up in the mountaintop with the glorified Jesus, you know, it would be a thought for a moment. And then you would want to come back down to your responsibilities. And the reality is, is that like in Matthew chapter 17, you know, who would not want to stay with Jesus glorified? I was on vacation recently, as you recall, just a few weeks ago, and we were able to get away for an extended time. And let me tell you, if I could live in the vacation bubble the rest of my life, I think that might be okay. I mean, I did want to be back. I had those feelings, but I also had the feeling, this is awesome. I was going home, and other people were continuing on. And I'm like, Lord, you know, should we continue on? Should we go home? And you have all the responsibility. And I say it just to say this. When you're on, you have those mountaintop experiences that we often refer to. It's a, it's a figure of speech, although we have in Matthew 17 that mountaintop experience with Jesus being transfigured and being revealed in his glory and giving a glimpse of heaven and a glimpse of what it's like in his soon return. And just like, man, let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. Let's build some tents and never go down the reality is is we can't stay on the mountain of glory. We've always got to come back down to the valley of need. Don't ever forget that. It's from the mountain of glory that often we come down to the valley of need, because you'll recall in Matthew chapter 17, that Jesus came down to the demon-possessed. How's that for a transition? From the mountaintop of glory to the demon-possessed. A dad is there pleading, "Please help my kid." help us i mean you don't even have time to process it a lot of times retreats are like that the men's and the women's even the high school retreats where you don't even have time to process process it before you're hit with something before the reality of life takes till the philistines show up you're like can't we just have a break can't you just give me a week to process it can't you just give me two days to enjoy it can't, can't you just and, and you know the reality is it's not the Lord would love to have you in heaven you know and you can enjoy it all he would love for you to enjoy there's an intimacy on those mountaintops there's a closeness to the Lord God enjoys that and the enemy hates it and so the Philistines are right there or even the needs you know here's this young boy being, being ruined by the devil presented to these to Jesus and his disciples please please help me and those mountaintops always lead to the valleys. You know, those times of God moving and speaking and blessing, like our retreats, like our time of just getting away. You know, I always, throughout the year, we, we extend time to those that are on staff, to the pastors, and, and we say, take a day off and go seek the Lord. Just turn everything off, leave it here if you need to, and just go seek the Lord. What's he saying to you? Get away from the hustle and bustle and and come back with a report from God. And, and it's even a battle to get that done. That done and, and have that completed. And so remember that the mountaintops always come with the valleys. Be ready for them. Moses, he came down to the children of Israel committing idolatry. And some even suggest sexual sin. At the, at the base of the mountaintop. You know, making themselves a, a, an idol. And even the leader, you know, Aaron, what, what were you doing, Aaron? The people who made me do it. You know, like, come on. I'm out there seeking the Lord and you're down here, what? Fashioning a calf? I'm with the, I'm, you know, the, he's there with the leadership. He, he's the leader seeking God. And then there's a leader that's been delegated down at them. And what is he doing? And, and it happens. The Philistines, remember that. We're going to meet the Philistines a lot in our study through this section of the Old Testament. They're a constant plague, just like the devil, always on their prowl, looking for a weak spot. And you and I, we come back from great times spent alone with the Lord and find that the valley is there. And you know what does Jesus do when he's met with that demon possessed kid and that dad that's desperate? Does he run back up the mountain? Does he blow him off? Does he say, you know what, the glory of God's more important than your demon possessed kid? No. He serves, he gives, he delivers. Wouldn't that be great that, that that's the banner over your life? You serve, you give, and you deliver. It's so beautiful. Verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I mean, that's a 4,000 people is a great defeat. And the elders of Israel, again, these are... There has been some time since good spiritual leadership, so now the elders or the leaders of Israel, they come in and and they're, why has the Lord defeated us? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes along among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Don't miss this. Unfortunately, this is all too common. After a great defeat, after a great discouragement, after a great disappointment, after great death, in this case 4,000, it's very easy to blame God. Why has God defeated us? They're blaming God. Rather than getting on their faces and seeking God and repenting of their sin or humbling themselves before the mighty hand of God, they take the easy way out and just blame God that was the first thing they don't run to God verse 3 doesn't say and the people who come into the camp the elders of Israel called for a fast they called for a time of prayer they called for a time of desperation they called for a seeking of wisdom these are the elders these are the leaders There's, there's no mention of anyone doing that at this point instead they say well why does God defeated us why has God defeated us that's not what happened at all. God is often blamed for things when times get tough. I wonder if that's something you've done. When calamity strikes, people want to blame God. They don't want to look at their own lives. They don't want to examine where their hearts are. They don't want to look back and see where they've come from. They don't want to come into a place of humility broken before the Lord. They don't want to examine themselves themselves. I know I might be speaking to some of you, but I want you to take this seriously. The blaming of God puts great distance between you and the one that's there to help you. The faithfulness of God. We've looked at this time and time again. There's no need to go in depth with it now, but I I will encourage you to, to to recall that bad things happen because sin is present in the world. The wages of sin is Death bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, bad things happen to followers of God, bad things happen to haters of God. Sin is in the world, and we unfortunately have to pay the price for the consequences of our own sin, for the consequences of other people's sin. You know, had they come to Samuel, think about what a difference it would have made. Had they come to Samuel and just said, Samuel, seek the Lord. Can you ask God? You're the prophet. God has given to you as a gift. It just They just describe it from Dan to Beersheba. God has given us a prophet. He's given us a leader. God, we, you know, we believe that you're God's man, Samuel. Would you please... We haven't heard God in forever. Like, he, that we haven't heard the word of the Lord forever. But we believe you're from him. Would you please ask him for us? We don't even know how to call upon. Nobody's ever taught us how to call upon God. Would you please find out why 4,000 of our family members... Men of renown have died. Would you find out why the Philistines are coming after us? Would you please cry out, ask God for wisdom? Surely the Lord would have answered that prayer. That's the pattern. The pattern is God's blessing, God's blessing, God's blessing. The enemy's attack, what, what, would you think the enemy's attack is going to stop the blessing of God? But I tell you what it does do, it stops us seeking the God of Blessing. It's not going to stop the blessing of God, but calamity will often stop us from seeking the God of blessing, and the God of clarity, and the God of comfort, and the God, and, and, and whether you're in a stage right now of blaming God, or you've never been in a circumstance like that, and you hope you never are, I just want to pray for you, it's not God's fault. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Jesus was given as a substitute for your life. You belong to him. God, when you think of God, you're gonna remember that God gave his best for you. Not his second best, not half-heartedly. He made a way for you to come back to him, not only to be in relationship, but to be free from the condemnation and the guilt of your sin. And so lest we're tempted to blame God, why would God do this? God didn't do it. He's for you, not against you. Now I have to say, for those of you that really don't have a relationship with God right now, you, you're in church, and, and for that, I commend you. It's not easy for someone that's kind of far from God to be in church. It's a little uncomfortable. I think mean, Pastor Ian asked us all to hug one another. I remember the first time as an unbeliever. I was, in, I was in church thinking, "What am I supposed to do here?" And then they want people are starting to hug me. That's wrong don't don't hug me i don't even want to be here why do you don't we don't even hug at home like i'm not hugging at church like what am i like it's just like it it was blowing my mind it was uncomfortable to be there it was uncomfortable to have a man up here talking about sin talking about my sin like who is this guy to talk about my sin he doesn't even know me i'm having those little arguments with him he doesn't even know me why am i arguing with a man that doesn't even know me i don't even know him but the God is working on me. And so I commend you, biz, It's a very uncomfortable place to be in church. It's a very uncomfortable place to listen to a Bible study. It's awkward. It's different. It's, it's not like a rock concert. It's, it's not like a play. Um, it's very different. There are very few places where you will go where they will tell you the truth about your life. So to come into a church setting or to be on the radio and flipping through the dial, I don't even know why I'm staying here. I don't know why I'm staying on the station or to be on the internet and, you know, you're just like somebody gave you a link and you're like, why, why do I, I don't even want to hear the truth about my life. I like the bubble that I'm living in. Well, you know, when calamity strikes, it's natural for you to blame God because you don't know him. It's natural. It's natural for you to say, you know what, God, I don't like you. I don't love you. And this problem in my life is it's all your fault. But can I give you a little bit of a different perspective on that? I meet people all the time and have the privilege of praying with them and talking to them that that end up through the doors of our church from some calamity, some difficulty, some. And for years, they haven't talked about God. They haven't thought about God. They haven't said one good thing or bad thing about God. But when calamity struck, God was on their lips. Hey, in my estimation, if you want to start talking about God, I'm open to that. If you want to start remembering maybe the God that you were introduced to when you were being raised in a church with your grandmother, I'll talk to you about that. You, you might remember the Sunday school lessons or there even are those that were in churches all the way to adults and then decided somewhere along the way to move on. And, and I, that's not for me. Kind of like the prodigal son. I want to go live in the world, check it out, see how it is. I, I'm I'm open. I'm open and I know that God will use calamity to get your attention. To get your attention. Sometimes in a small way. Sometimes in a large way. This world's hard and it's tough. And a lot of people are down and out and hurting and hungry. So whether it's a hunger pain or a calamity or in the... It's no small thing to lose 4,000 people. But to blame God. What needed to happen was... They need national repentance and prayer. If they had a time of national repentance, crying out to God, no doubt God would have met them and spoken to them.
1: So rather than blame God, we should trust God on the heels of defeat or disappointment. What a great lesson here in 1 Samuel 4. And I'd imagine it really hit home for some of you. Call us at Abounding Grace and request Ed Taylor's message, Trust in God Alone. It's just $2. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Or download the message from our website at calvaryaurora.org. You can also listen to Ed's teachings through our mobile app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And while you're thinking of it, download the Grace FM Colorado app, too. This is another cool and helpful app where you can access great Bible teaching. Life sure can get difficult. I don't need to remind you of that. And there are times when we get down and discouraged, and maybe even feel like, can we get up out of bed in the morning? We'd like to share an encouraging book with you today, written by Francois Finelon. It's simply titled, Let Go. And that really is a good summation of the book, as he encourages the readers to let go of those things that are hindering our lives and embrace God's joy and peace. When you give $25 or more to Abounding in Grace, be sure to request a copy of Let Go. And we also want to remind you that Abounding Grace is listener supported, and we would very much appreciate your prayers and financial support as we come to you day by day. We're asking God to raise up a team of supporters that will stand with us and help to provide these daily studies on stations like this all across the country. Here's where to reach us 877 30 GRACE or make a secure online donation at CalvaryAurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace. Post office box 460598 Aurora Colorado 80046 There's more from First Samuel coming your way next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor This is
0: amazing grace
1: To first Samuel next time on abounding grace with Pastor Ed Taylor we'll see you then